Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Joshua chapter 3, where we've been for a couple of weeks, going to hopefully finish up that message uh, this morning as we continue through Joshua chapter 3. Didn't know my sister was going to be with us this morning. I was actually sitting up here talking and somebody flagged me down and said, hey, you might want to go back and speak to your sister. And I'm glad they pointed that out. She'd be telling the rest of the family bad things about me if I didn't. But uh, if I'd have known she was coming, I'd have got her to to play or sing or something for us this morning. But uh, it's good to have her with us. So Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3 this morning, we'll start in the very first verse. If you have found that, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word this morning. Joshua chapter 3, verse number 1 reads like this. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel had lodged there before they crossed over. So it was, after three days, that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Father, this morning we thank you for your blessing of fellowship, for your blessing of music, Father, for the wonderful time that... I always have with the kids never quite knowing what's going to be said or done there. And I just thank you for the surprises of life that come through them. And, and now, Father, as we take your word and we open it, as we hear you speak into our hearts, I ask this of you, that you open our spiritual ears and hearts that we may hear your still small voice and that you make very little of me and very much of you this morning as we proclaim your good news through your word. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you kind of know we've been walking through this uh, story of Joshua. This this year we've been looking at uh, being here for such a time as this, like it said in the book of Esther, that she was here for such a time as this. And I can't help but think we as the body of Christ at Morris Creek are here for such a time as this. And you'd have to say by looking around, it's quite a time. It is quite a time that we are in. If you remember the very first message that we looked at in such a time as this, is this it was called, uh, He has brought us out to bring us in. It was the story of the Israelites being brought out of bondage through the Red Sea with the purpose of being brought into the promised land. Yet they pulled up short. They pulled up short and we we looked at that message. Then we stepped into this particular message, this particular message, which is we have never been this way before. You know, I believe with all of my heart that God has laid before us a path we have never been down before. We've never been down before. God has not yet revealed what that path is, but I believe the day is fast approaching. And we're in preparation for that. As a matter of fact, as we looked at this message, the very first thing we looked at was the preparation of the people. If you remember, God said to set out, set out from the Acacia Grove. He said to set up a little bit short of the river. And while you're set up, he said to set apart to make sure that you're confessing those sins that are in your life, that you are, are searching your heart to make sure that your desires are those desires of God, to make sure that your focus is completely upon Him. That's what we today call repentance. Repentance followed by sanctification. That's the setting apart. Repentance being recognizing those things in your life that are not of God, those sins that you have committed, and going to God and saying, I believe along with you, Father, that I have sinned against you. I know that you're telling me the truth when you've revealed the sin in my heart, and I ask your forgiveness of it. You're not letting God in on the secret of your sin. 
you're lining up with what God's already called sin. Understand, he knows about it. He's waiting for you to know about it. He's waiting for you to come to him and say, you know what, I recognize this is a sin. And that's the setting apart. So we looked at that preparation part. Last week, we stepped into from the preparation to looking at the person who leads us. The person who leads us, we talked about that ark. Remember that ark? We talked about them lining up behind that ark, shoulder to shoulder, some one to two million uh, Israelites lining up short of the Jordan. And they were told to focus their entire attention upon the ark. What did we say that ark represented? It's the presence of God. The presence of God. Why were they to line up shoulder to shoulder and not front to back? Because we have a tendency to line up front to back. We're taught that all the way from school. What always happens in kindergarten when they say, make a line, we're headed to the gym. There's a fight for the first place, isn't there? There's always a scramble. Well, there's a tackle going on. Somebody's trying to be first. And what do they do? Every time somebody tries to get in, it says, no, 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 you get behind me. We do the same thing when we get like at the grocery store, don't we? There'll be a person behind us got like five things in their hand. We'll have two buggies and we're going, no, you're behind us. <laughs> we want to get this line going. because we. So what happens is the person behind, two, three, four back, who's he following? <laughs> the guy in the front. God wanted to make sure that we didn't line up behind each other and just follow the person in front. He wanted to make sure the only person we followed was him. And he was represented in that ark. In that ark. So we, we saw the preparation and we saw the person who leads us through into the promised land, into that next phase in our life. From glory to glory, as Paul would put it. That person that leads us is God himself in the ark. Well, this morning we've looked at preparation. We looked at the person who leads. Let's look this morning at the presence of God for his people. If that ark represented the presence, what exactly did that ark mean? In Joshua 3, uh, verse 4, there, the second part of verse 4, he uh, tells the people that they are to, to line up behind this ark. He tells us that the ark went before the people. The, and he, he kind of makes this, this insinuation that their ability to survive and what they're about to do, their ability to be successful in this thing that they're about to do is hinging on this ark. It's hinging on that, that one who, who leads. And, and what do I mean by the ark? That, that ark is the, the presence of God, but what was contained in the ark. See, to really understand what the presence of God is, you must understand what's contained in the ark. How many of you remember? How many of you remember the stories? Because there's not really one place that's going to say, these are the things. We may remember some of the things. Let's just look at the things real fast. Exodus 25, 16 tells us that the testimony of God was in the ark. Matter of fact, they called the, the ark in the early days the ark of the testimony. Well, what is the testimony of, of God? At that point in time, it was the Ten Commandments. Those things were put in. In our day and time, we look at the testimony of God being the expanse of the Bible, the, the, His Word. So the very first thing that was to be placed in the ark was the testimony of God, those commandments. Because God wanted His instruction to always be in the presence of the people. What was the second thing that was placed in? In Exodus 16, somewhere about the 30, 32nd, 33rd verse, it tells you this. There was a jar of manna. A jar of manna. What did the manna represent for the people of Israel? God's provision. God taking care of them. But you know something neat to think about. There's a jar of manna in the Ark of the Covenant. How long did the manna last on earth when they picked it up? One day. <laughs> but there's a jar in the Ark. It's showing that God has a, a way to provide for us, not just daily, but forever. 
This daily substance they had had to go out each day and pick up. And they were told, if you remember, not to pick up but one day at a time except for preparation for the Sabbath. This manna that's been placed in the ark is manna that is still fresh in the ark even now. So his, his provision lasts forever. So that's a testimony of God's provision. The third thing, the third thing that was placed in the ark. Anybody know what the third thing? Aaron's budding rod. Aaron's budding rod was placed there. You may be racking your brain right now going, what in the world is the story of Aaron's budding, budding rod? Hold on to about 12, 15, and I'll tell you about that. But Aaron's budding rod, we'll look at that in a little bit, but it, but it represented this very quickly. It represented the choosing of Aaron in leadership. And here's the other thing it represented. It represented God's power over complaining. We'll look at that in just a few minutes. So God... God has Israel line up. They, they line up in such a way that they could only focus on the ark. That would be their only focus. And God placed in that ark his promises for the people. Okay, so inside that ark is his promises for his people. God had promised, still promises us today, that he's never going to leave us or forsake us. God promises that he will meet our every need. God promised that he loves us by hanging his only begotten son on the cross to die for our sins. And God now calls us to follow him, to, to follow this art, understanding the promises of God in our life. Look at Joshua 3, 6, and let's move further into this message this morning. So Joshua 3, 6 says this, Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, and cross over before the people. And look what they did. It says, so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. So Joshua commanded the priest to pick up this Ark. To pick up this Ark and to cross over. And the priest went out before the people. Now, there were a couple of million of these people following the Ark that's being carried by these priests. And they're heading right towards this two mile wide Jordan. You got the picture? These priests are just walking towards this Jordan River that's two miles wide. They're carrying the ark. The people are in obedience, lined up following this ark. Notice that the Jordan hadn't gone anywhere. They didn't wake up in the morning and it was suddenly a bridge. They woke up in the morning, found before them a two-mile wide Jordan. Joshua said, pick up the ark, priest. We're moving out. So they approached this. The water was an obstacle that was standing between where they were, which they were very comfortable in, if you remember. For years, they had been able to go out on the front porch and pick up the loaf bread. Every now and then, a quail would drop in. Their shoes, remember, never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. Life wasn't all that bad, if you really think about it. They were pretty comfortable where they were at. And now they look before them. And you know, even though they knew they were headed where Joshua said God was leading them, there had to be in their mind a certain amount of doubt, wouldn't you think? Because there laid before them was two miles of water. And like I told you last week, nobody brought the boat. Nobody had wood to build a bridge. There wasn't any way to fly over it. They were walking towards it. And as far as they could see, there was no way to cross this water. Yet they went. Then it tells us in verse 7 and 8 of Joshua, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that you may know that as I was with Moses, 
so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. God told Aaron, This day I will exalt you that the people may know that I am with you. God's putting his stamp of approval on Joshua, saying, People, go where Joshua goes because I am with him. Why was God interested in exalting, exalting uh, them? Why, why was he interested in, in just placing this stamp of approval? Why was he saying, hey, I want to put this stamp of, a, of approval there on you? Why? He knew that in order for the people, for the people to receive what he was about to do, what he was about to give them, that they would have to be committed to do that which Joshua led them to do. God had called him out to, to lead, to be out front, to hear from God and to spread that message. You know what that's a picture of today? Hopefully, <laughs> in, in all of our gatherings this morning, that's a picture of what the pastor's called to do. I'll tell you this. <laughs> I thank God that I'm part of a church that's willing to go in the direction God asked us to go. Because there are a lot of pastors that can't stand in a pulpit this morning and say that. There are a lot of pastors that can't. You may never know this side of heaven how much of a blessing you are to me in my ministry for being willing to go those places that God asked us to go. And trust me, if we look back over the last three years, we've walked some places that haven't been easy. Yet I think it's going to be more difficult ahead. I really do. So many churches today want to tell their pastor what to do, and that's all he can do. Then they wonder, how come the church is in decline? How come the church never affects the community they're in? How come the church is falling apart? Yet we, and I hope always will be this way, whether I'm the pastor here or anyone else, we are following what God has called us to do. That's why the church is growing. That's why the church is impacting the community it's in. That's why people are drawn to the church. It's not by the preaching I was really expecting amens from the deacon section at that point in time. It's not from the singing, which I can't understand why that wouldn't draw them in. You know what it's from? It's from God. It's from God being the head. It's from God being the one who is calling us out and, and telling us those things that we should do. And then it's your obedience. It's your obedience to do that which God calls even when it's uncomfortable. And there's times that things are uncomfortable, aren't they? Normally it's about 12.10 on Sunday morning when you're wondering when am I ever going to get to the end of the message. But there's things that we are called to do that are uncomfortable. Yet you know what the answer should be when we hit those things that are uncomfortable? Scott, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. We should be as Joshua. We should be able to say, God, if you're calling, there's no sense in us not going because you said go. It doesn't matter if there's two miles of water ahead of us. You called us, you provide the way. Because he'll never send you somewhere that he's not willing to go with you. That he's not willing to go with you. And the most important thing a pastor or a leader or a church can ever do, I believe, is to lead in the direction God calls. I pray, and I hope you pray for me, but I pray the day never comes that I lead you in the direction I think we should go. Yet I will have to admit, many times it would be much easier. <laughs> many times it would be much easier. But you know what would happen if I led you in the direction I think we should go? It would be the wrong direction. Because unless I'm leading you in the direction God calls us to go, we don't need to be going. And I am so thankful that you're willing to follow. What was it 
Aaron told the priest to do. Here's God put his stamp of approval on him. He's gone, he's, he's gone there and he said, Joshua, he said, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. Here's the thing that you should do. Here's the, the thing that you should step out into. Here's, here's what we are, are going to accomplish. Uh, here's the things that are going to happen. Uh, here's, here's all the things that you've got to do that are laid out before you. And here's the direction I want you to go. What did he stand up and do before the people? What a place to be that you're quivering in your shoes when God tells you there's something that we must go out and do, that, that we must step out and do, and you don't fully understand, but you're to tell the others behind you what we're about to do. You ever been part of something, maybe a project at work, that you're put in charge of, yet you can't even see what the finished product is, you're just in charge of it? Have you ever been in a position that you're trying to lead other people to go a place you know you're supposed to go, but you don't even know how to get there? It's the picture of where they're standing. It's the picture of exactly where they're standing. And, and what was it that he told those priests to do? He said to take up the ark, number one. And then he said to go stand in the water. To stand in the water. I think I've seen this in a movie somewhere before where they go and they dip their toe in the water and the water parts. You know, that's not what was said here. If, if you look at the construction of the words, if you go back to the original language, what it's really saying is go stand in the water. What You're saying, Pastor, that's just a parson of words, but there's a world of difference. There's a world of difference of being willing to dip your toe in to see if God's going to do anything and to bailing out knee deep in the middle. What he told them is that you take that ark and you walk to your knee deep in that water to your waist deep in that water. You go get in the water. You would think that they would put their toe in and suddenly the water would start parting. But that's not what's given here. There's a certain level of commitment. It's a certain level of commitment from the leadership that God is requiring us. What does that tell me today? You know, it's not enough to talk about what God's doing. It's not enough to give instruction about what God is doing. It's not enough to kind of partially, for me as the leader or for the deacons or Sunday school teachers, to just get partially involved in what is doing. No, God wants us knee deep before you ever get in the water. If the leadership will not get knee deep in the water, when God says go, the church will never go anywhere. He wants us to be committed. He wants us to participate. He wants us to be involved. The church will only go where they see the leadership committed to follow God. If the leadership's not committed to God, the church won't be committed to God. If the church is not committed to God, it is not a church. So they were willing to go and get knee deep in the water, holding the ark, waiting on God to do that which he had promised. Why? Because they trusted God. They believed God would do that thing that he said and provide a way. They were willing to wade out in the water. If you want to follow, if I want you to follow God, why would I expect you to follow God somewhere I'm not willing to go? And you only go those places that I am willing to go. It is a desire. It is a desire my heart to be knee deep in the water following the direction God has called to lead his people into his promised land for Morris Creek Baptist Church. There's no greater calling on my life than to be knee-deep in the water, knee-deep in the water of God's purpose for this church.
And I want you to know this. We've come to the Jordan. We've come to the Jordan as a church. We've been brought out. We've been brought out. Many of the people sitting in here by your profession every week, by your response to the invitation given, you tell me that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That means you've been called out. You've been called out of the bondage of sin in your life into life with Christ. Yet I think we've come up short of going into that promised land. For there's other work to be done. There's other things to be accomplished for God. And right now we stand facing that Jordan. We stand before a Jordan that is two miles wide. It's a, it's a burden. It's an it's a obstacle that we can't overcome. And I love that fact. Because if we would overcome it, it wouldn't be from God. We stand at the precipice of something God has in store for us. And I want you to know this. Your pastor's in knee deep. I'll go if it's only me. Why? Because God said go. God said step out. I'll take care of the rest. And why am I in knee deep? Because being in knee deep means I'm in the presence of God. See where the ark was? The ark was on the shoulders of the priest. The priests were knee deep in the water. To be in the presence of God, you must be knee deep in that which he desires for you to do. To fall short, to not participate, to sit on your laurels and not get involved in what God's doing means you are not in God's presence. God doesn't show up on Sunday morning for an hour to sit in church with you. God's out and about doing those things. We need to find where God has us for, to come alongside of him and get knee deep in it with him. Remember what the ark represented to the people of Israel. It represented that presence of God. And remember what God placed in the ark? He placed the testimony, the manna, and the budding rod. Well, you may ask, Pastor, what has that got to do with us? <laughs> What does that got to do with us? You know, they can't even find the ark today. Do you know that? They don't know where it's at. It is still there. The ark hasn't gone. Matter of fact, when I think about the ark today, we get focused on God and that ark. All those things that God calls us to do, it is possible for us to do. Because God says that all things work out for good in us if, in fact, we're deep, deep in those things that he has called us to do. And don't you want the goodness life has to offer? Don't you want to live a life filled with goodness? I'm not talking a life filled with treasures or a life filled with even health or wealth or substance or things. I'm talking about the good life. The life that everyone looks at, as the kid said this morning when we talked about the flavoring of the world. Wouldn't you like to know that every time somebody looks at you, they're seeing God? Wouldn't you like to know that every time you speak, someone hears how they need Jesus in their life. And not because you've got a neat little testament stuck in the front of your Bible or a pamphlet or something that you can handle, but because that's what oozes out of your pores because you're knee-deep in what God's doing. See, let's look at the ark today and its contents and how it's relative to our life. Everything I've just given you is the introduction, so I hope you have your seatbelts on and crackers packed. Nobody laughed. <laughs> today, we're, let's look at the ark in our lives. You know, we do have an ark in our lives today. And you know, the ark's name today is Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? If you look at the ark and the things that are in it, and you look at Jesus Christ and what he is in our life, those things marry up perfectly. Perfectly. And how do we know that we can go where we've never been before? How do we know that we can follow God? Well, we 
do that in the exact same way we come to know this ark, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. It's completely by faith. Aren't you glad to know that all you have to have to follow God, the ark, the presence of God, to a place you have never been, is to have faith? And that faith is placed in the exact same place it is for you to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. See, when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you had faith that God would do that which he said he would do, which is save you if you had the faith to believe that Jesus died for your sins. This morning, as you look at the ark, he's calling us to have that same faith in him. How do we do it? First, faith in the perfection of God. Faith in the perfection of God. The first item placed in the ark was the testimony of God. If you base your Christian life on anything other than the truth, the foundation of the word of God, you're basing your entire Christian life on a lie. Let's just lay it right out front. If you put it on anything other than the Word of God, your Christian life is a lie. If you place it on what a pastor said or your mom and dad said or what you read in a book or somebody you saw on TV that doesn't open the Scripture to preach it to you, if you base your Christian life on that, it is a lie. God said, and that's all you need to know. If they say, I said, turn them off. All they need to tell you is what God said because what you need to base your Christian life on is what God said. And what did God say? He said, I am holy, therefore you should be holy. He said, you're a sinner and you need salvation and I'll provide that through my son Jesus Christ. He said, salvation is not the end of all things. That's the beginning of your eternal life. So you should come to look more like Jesus Christ from the day you come to know him to the day I call you home. If your life hasn't changed, you're probably not listening to the word. Therefore, your Christian life is based on a lie. The first thing that he stuck in the ark was the testimony of God. Why? Because for them to accomplish that which they had to accomplish in their life, it had to be based on the truth. And there's only one truth. There is only one truth, and it's the truth found in the Word of God. You know what's become popular today? To say that there's more than one truth. That truth is actually relative. Truth is relative. (laughs) Relative to what? Do you realize if truth was relative, then every person would have their own truth? And then there would be no truth. How can it be relative? To even say that truth is relative is a relative statement, so how do we believe it? <laughs> truth is not relative. Truth, truth is concrete. Truth is based on one thing. It's, it's God's Word. Do you know what? In our culture today, it's kind of become a sport. <laughs> it's kind of become a sport to pick on Christians, in case you hadn't noticed. They call us narrow-minded. They call us bigoted. They said that we're not inclusive. We don't take everybody in. Matter of fact, you know, it's, it's kind of become sort of a sport to attack Christians, especially Christians that are seen on a daily basis, whether it be out as sports athletes, or if you remember Tim Tebow. You know, now they're kneeling because they're protesting. He kneeled because he loved God on his own on the side, and they kicked him out of sports, out of NFL. Figure that one out. Couldn't be the kneeling, or the rest of them would be gone. Just saying. They, they pick on the ones who decide they're going to pray at events. Say, so you can't do that anymore. They, they take the National Day of Prayer and they invite other religions in just so that we don't offend anybody. But the latest one I find really interesting, I, I kind of hope this comes as a surprise to you unless you saw it on the news. If you happen to see this on the show, do not raise your hand because we'll have a special prayer for you at the end of the day. But there's a well-known talk show <laughs> person, apparently well-known, I didn't really know until I read the article, that took it upon herself just this week, last week, uh, to bash a well-known Christian. 
When, the guy's got to be a horrible fellow because what she bashed him about was believing that Jesus actually still talked to him and was relevant in his life and was a part of his life. She, she was bashing the fact that, that, that he actually thought God was alive and still working today, really, is what it was about. She actually said he had a mental illness for believing that he could still be in communication with God through Jesus Christ. Had a mental illness. <laughs> you know who the person was? Vice President Pence. This is the same guy that said, you know what, I'm making a, 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 a rule in my life to never ride alone in a car with a, another woman other than my wife. I'm making a rule in, in my life to never go to dinner with another woman. You remember he was kind of beat up for that a little bit too. How narrow-minded. Yeah. Who cares if his wife's offended that he's out with another woman? That didn't even make any sense. But now they're calling him a mental illness because he believes in Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. What, what she was really saying is this. There's no God. That's what she was saying. There's no God. Here's, here's the part I find funny. You know, I, I really don't even fault her for what she said. I really don't because she proved a point. She proved this point. She makes a claim that there is no God that is active in our life, yet she is doing what the God of her life instructed her to do. Who's the God of her life? Satan. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that those who are righteous are led by Righteousness, Jesus Christ. Those who are unrighteous are led by Satan. You see, she made a point. Either your life looks like Christ and he's the Lord of your life, or it doesn't look like Christ and Satan is. That's the point that she made for us. It's a good point because, you know, she was actually right. She demonstrated what it looks like to not be a Christian by beating up on a man who I believe, from all intents and purposes that I've seen, demonstrates what it means to be a Christian. To have standards and morals based on the word. He didn't just say he didn't have dinner with a woman because he didn't want to possibly do something wrong. No, he said, it's going to bring disrespect to my wife. It's going to bring disrespect to me, even disrespect to the woman I'm alone with. Where does he get that? That's what the word says. Think of others before you think of yourself. He was concerned about how it would look on others. See, she's using her platform to try and bring harm to the image of God and God's children. Yet she made a very valid point in showing us through her demonstration what it looks like to not be a Christian. And I believe give us a point of what it looks like to be a Christian. Does God still communicate with us today? I hope your answer to that question is absolutely yes. If not, our prayers are useless. Our time together this morning would be useless. If he didn't still communicate with us. But you know what I know? There's a day of reckoning for those who don't believe there is a God. There's a day coming when they're going to have to answer for those things. When all of humanity will know that there's a God. And that God is this God of truth. That those things that he says in his word will come true. Or even coming true now. There will come a day there will be no denying the fact. That every word that he has written in his book is truth. And the testimony that is placed in the ark is the testimony of, of truth, God's word. And today, we don't just have Ten Commandments stuck in a golden box that no one can find. We have today the truth in our hands. How sad it is to know that most Christians don't open that other than when they come to Bible study, Sunday school, or church. How sad it is to know that most folks don't memorize and use the Bible in their daily life. 
How sad it is to know most discussions even held in, in Christian groups when they gather together about what's going on in the world today is about how we can politically change it or how the army needs to be stronger or how funding needs to be done. No, what we need to do is tell people about Jesus Christ. See, the answer to all of our problems is held in the Word. And what is in the Word? What is in the Word? It, the Word is in the Word. Look over at John with me really fast. John, real fast. John 1 just in case you didn't know, says this, John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This Word that you hold in your hand is Jesus. He was with God before there ever was an earth. As a matter of fact, if you remember at the beginning of time, it said there was this orchestrator of all that went on, and there was a spirit that hovered over the void, and then when God decided to turn that nothingness into somethingness, how did He do it? He didn't touch it. He didn't mold it in his hand and sling it out there. He spoke it into existence. So it was God the Father, God the Holy Spirit working, and there was the word of creation. There was this word of creation. How do we know that? Because the very next verse, verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that is made. Jesus was there. The word of life was there at creation and before. He was there at creation and before. But look at verse 4 and 5. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Where does life come from? Life comes from Jesus. He's speaking here of both, yes, physical life, because God breathed life into the body. But he's speaking more specifically of eternal life. See, to not know Jesus Christ means death. Eternal death. But then look at verse 5. It says, And the light shines in the darkness. This light shines in the darkness, and it says, and the darkness did not comprehend it. A better translation there would probably be, did not overcome it. If you look at the original language, even though this light, this light of Jesus Christ later died on a cross, it didn't put the light out. It turned the light up. It turned the light up. And, and this word, this truth is what is in the ark. It's this Jesus that is our ark ahead of us. John 14, 6 tells you that He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. He gives life because He is life. He is the only way to life, and He is nothing but truth. What you hold in your hand is nothing but truth. And how does having this truth in our lives change us? John 8, 31 and 32. John 8, 31 and 32 tell us this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, if you abide in my word, Jesus, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And what shall the truth do? It'll make you free. You want to be free from those things that are holding you bondage in your life? Get in the word. Abide in the word. See, there's no freedom apart from the knowledge and belief in the truth of God's word. In Joshua, the book of Joshua, we see the Israelites... They've been set free from the bondage of Egypt. This represents to us the freedom of being set free from sin. Yet now the Israelites are standing at the Jordan and they're needing to be set free again. They're needing to be set free again. But it's not set free from the bondage in Egypt. No, what they're needing to be set free of is their disbelief and their complacency. Their disbelief and complacency. Because remember what kept them in the desert for 40 years? Disbelief. 
The ones that had died off didn't believe that God could accomplish what he said he could accomplish by crossing over the Jordan, that they would be defeated. So they didn't believe God. So for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness until they were all gone. But now they had come kind of complacent, if you read the story, <laughs> being there in that, that desert. If, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been set free from the bondage of sin. You never have to go back there again. If you've accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, your destination is a place called heaven, and you've been set free from sin. Yet I can't help believe today how many Christians there are that are standing at the Jordan and needed of being set free from the bondage, <laughs> from the bondage of disbelief. And the bondage of complacency. We're just like, we're just like in all essence the, the Israelites. And how will he do this? It starts with the first thing that he placed in the ark, and, and that's the truth. It starts with, with following God in faith, faith because he is the truth. And his word is the light of truth unto our feet to light the way that we should go, to light our path. Very quickly, what's the second thing? Second thing is his provision. When faced with a prospect of going where you've never been before, what's one of the things that causes you trepidation? Do I have that which will sustain me through it? Do I have that which will sustain me through it? Many churches are where they are today because they have gotten very comfortable and they don't see how they can really go anywhere else. Things like this, they, they don't have enough people to accomplish the things that they think God would have them. They, they, they don't have enough money to, to go and do all of these things. They, they don't have a, a facility, space to be able to put the people. If, if we went out and reached them, what, what do we do with them? But God tells us to get in the water. He'll handle the rest. He doesn't call us to figure out the end. That's his responsibility. He called us to get in the water and to cross. He said, if you'll cross, the rest is on me. The second thing that God had placed in that ark was that bowl of manna. This manna was a reminder of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. This faithfulness to the people of Israel. And for 40 years had been faithful with clothes, with food, with, with protection, with a cloud, with fire to, to lead them. There had been all kinds of things that he had taken care of for them in that wilderness. And God had told them to go out each day to collect that manna. To, to eat it that day and not to collect for any other days except from preparation for the Sabbath. And you know what? Every morning they got up for 40 years, there it was. Every day for 40 years, there it was. They never had to go back and beg God to send it. They never had to do a certain ritual or show up at a certain place. God provided it. Why? Because he said he would. He wanted them to have a daily provision so that daily they would lean upon him. He could have very simply sent them a year's worth and said, now put it away, eat so much a day, and this will last you for a year. But what would have happened? About the second or third day in, they'd have had it covered and not needed God another moment until the end of the year and the manna ran out. What he wanted them to do every night when they laid their head on their pillow and they felt the hunger pains knowing breakfast time would be just around the corner, they wanted him, he wanted them to lay their head on the pillow and go, God... I'll be looking for you in the morning. You know what happened as they slept? Their mind was on this God of provision. You know what happened when they were out in the field during the day? Their mind was on this God of provision. You know, I think it would do us well to, to remember we need God daily. That we need God daily in our lives and that we need to lean upon Him daily. God tells us that He is our 
provider. He has provided for us a way into fellowship with him. He came from heaven down to earth just for the purpose of of seeking and saving those which are lost. Who are those which are lost? Usins. Usins. Remember Ephesians. I know you don't want to go back there. But let me just walk you back through real fast. Ephesians 1.7 says, and you don't need to turn because I'm sure you got it memorized. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. It's in him that we have that. He's providing for our every need. Do you know he's providing for your every need today? All things that, that we have in our life are a blessing from God. As a matter of fact, in that same book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1.3, it says, Blessed be the God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Not only that, he says that if you desire something because your heart is lined up with him, he'll provide that too. Because Psalms 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Do you delight yourself in the Lord? Do you delight yourself so that he is the everything for you at all times? Do you delight yourself in the Lord so that everything he desires, you desire? Because if you do, he says this, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you're delighted in him. You see, he wants us to have faith that he will give us all we need. And he will give us our desires if our desires are what he desires. God provides a way for us in these times of difficulty, such as the Jordan crossing. He provides for us a way when there seems to be no way. There's many that can say that, you know, Israel already experienced when Pharaoh had them trapped against the Red Sea. They probably provided a way out. If you remember, there was a guy who built a boat, and when the water started to rise, I'm sure he was wondering if this boat was going to float. And it's a boat that Noah built. We happen to call it Noah's Ark. Kind of interesting, it's an ark, huh? But anyhow, he builds a boat. There never been rain before, and there never been a boat before. But he built it under ridicule for a number of years to get inside of it when the water rose. And what did God do? Exactly what he promised he would do. You get in, I'll take care of the rest. There was this, there was this ark that, that floated. There, there were so many stories from the Bible. God had told them to go out each day and collect. He, he had told Noah to build an ark. He had told Israel, you just go. I'll part the sea to get you through. You know, we've all experienced the hand of God. All of us have experienced the hand of God in providing for us. We could spend all day with the stories, I'm sure. But there are many of us who have been in financial situations that the only way out was God showing up? Ever been there? These guys that own businesses know what I'm talking about. They know God. They are solely dependent upon God for work to show up at their door every day. And there's times that they've probably got on their knees and said, man, God, it's all on you because I don't see a way. And God shows up in a big way. God shows up in a big way. How many of us have had family situations? Just situations within our family where we realize there's no way out. There's no way to fix this. There's no way to mend the fences. There's no way to continue on. Yet God shows up. How many of us have had health crisis? We've got examples of health crisis sitting in a room with us today where the doctor said there's a possibility there is no way, yet God said there is a way. See, there are so many things. But think about the sin crisis in your life. See, there was a day you had a sin crisis in your life that there was no way out. But God. (laughs) But God. And God showed up in that sin crisis. See, God makes a habit of doing the things that are impossible. You ever notice that? He makes a habit of doing the things that are impossible. <laughs> See, the manna in the ark is a reminder that God has done the impossible. And he's done the impossible in the past for the Israelites. Therefore, they can lean on that answer of his promise in the future. 
knowing that God's walked you through your financial situation, your health crisis, your family problems, your job situations, knowing that He's walked you through all of those things should strengthen your resolve to walk forward with Him. Because if He's been faithful in the past, guess what, church? He'll be faithful in our future. Finally, very quickly, I'm already overdue. If you have to leave, you won't hurt my feelings. I would leave if I wasn't preaching. But here's the final point. We have to have faith in the plan of God. Faith in the plan of God. The biggest challenge in going where you've never been before is staying on the course of that which God has for us. You know how it is. Where you go where you've never been before, you have questions. One of the questions that arises in your mind, is this even the right thing to do? It doesn't seem like it makes any sense whatsoever. Why am I doing this? When you go where you've never been before, you'll have challenges like you've never had before. When you go where you've never been before, you will have those who say you shouldn't go where you're going. See, the third thing that God placed in the ark was Aaron's budding rod. Very quickly, I'm going to tell you the story. You go home and read it. Number 17. Number 17 tells you the story about Aaron's rod. God told Moses to take a rod from every tribe, write the name of the leader on the tribe, or take it in before the testimony, the ark of the testimony. Lo and behold, there's the ark again. Place those rods in before it, and when you go back in, the one that is budding is the one that I have chosen. That is the one that I have chosen. Why has God chosen one man? You have to back up to number 16 to get the rest of the story. Number 16 tells us that the children of Israel were complaining. They were complaining against Moses and Aaron. We know from reading the story, Moses and Aaron were put in place by God. Now, weren't they? Moses was put in place to lead. Aaron was put in place to be his second in command, so to speak. They were complaining this, that they had killed all the people of the Lord with their leadership. (laughs) <laughs> they killed him. That's kind of the same complaint it gets when someone leaves the church. Pastor, you ran them off. And there's probably a real good possibility with me, so pray that I don't do that. But, but, you know, but in fact, Israel had decided to listen to this group, this, this man, this person called Korah. I'll tell you the story very quickly. And, and, and they believed that Moses and Aaron had, had unjustly claimed the leadership and, and hearing from God on their, on their own. They, they stopped believing that God had sent them. And they, they, they started listening to this core and believed that they were being selfish and holding. That They resented the leaders that, that God put in, in place. And they questioned where Moses and, and Aaron were leading them. And, and they, they rose up to kind of take control. They were going to put them in their place and, and, and take control. But you know what? God showed up in one of those big ways. One of those great big ways of this story. I just love it. He showed up to prove that Moses and Aaron were the ones to lead. If you actually read on over in in 16, right before you get to chapter 17 there of Numbers, you're going to see that the children of Israel started to complain, and and, and they were were complaining about this this false worship, all these things. So they come. They come out to to Moses and Aaron. They're complaining. God gets so angry with them that he opens the earth and swallows Korah and his whole bunch. Gone. The Israelites have been following scattered hoping not to be consumed. But guess what else happened? wasn't enough. There was 250 guys that were coming to worship in a false way, using the implements of the temple, as a matter of fact, and to worship God in the wrong way. Guess what happened to them? Fire rained down. All 250 of them were taken. God showed up in a big way. In a big way. Why? 
He showed up to prove who Aaron and Moses were. You would think that would be the end of the story. The Israelites would be, hey, man, we're with you. That was chapter 16. Remember, I told you the story, the budding rods were in 17. Because the next day, after those things took place, guess what the Israelites did? They formed a committee and they started complaining again. They started complaining again. So to make sure they knew who God had chosen, God put out this test of the rods. They set the rods in. He had instructed the name of Aaron to be written on one. When they went in to retrieve the rods, it said, God had told them, the one that buds will be my chosen. Aaron's rod not only budded, it produced fruit. It wasn't a tree, it was a rod. God said, not only is this my man, this is really my man. If you don't get this message, something is wrong with you. It didn't just bud. There was fruit hanging on it. He chose Aaron. He chose Aaron. And what would be the outcome? What would be the outcome, does the Bible say, of this choosing? Why did God do this? What was God's purpose in it? Number 17.5 says this, And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus, I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. The third thing that he placed in the ark was to take care of the naysayers. And it was the naysayers amongst the people. It was the tares sitting among the wheat. There are two things you can be sure of when you go where you've never been before with God, and especially as a church. It will require total dependence upon God, and there will be those who would rather complain than participate. Remember, God takes care of His church. As the children of Israel faced the cross of the Jordan, they were the focus on the ark. And by focusing on the ark, their attention was to be completely upon God. So how do we go where we've never been before? We need to prepare. We need to repent and sanctify ourselves. We need to focus on the person who is leading, which is God through Christ. The truth. We need to continue and know that we are in God's presence in all that we do. We need to get knee-deep in that which He is doing. And what is God doing? He is seeking and saving those who are lost. He is reaching out to the widows and the poor. He is proclaiming His glory in some of the strangest places in the world right now. China one of the fastest growing Christian communities in the world. Yet we have the freedom to do what we do without persecution. And we're probably not even in the top ten, to be honest with you. We need to be knee-deep in that which is God doing. How do you do that? Because for the church to be knee-deep, it starts with me and you. First and foremost, you must know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I don't mean know the stories. I don't mean know that there was a date and a time that you walked an aisle. I mean really know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If your rod is not producing fruit, there's a really good chance you only know the story. You need to be all in with Jesus. You need to know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that Savior is a person, God person named Jesus Christ. 
and you need to turn it all over to Him. You don't worry about what you have to do. You don't worry about, do I need to be better before I come? No, there is no one worthy. There is no one worthy. There is nothing you can do to become worthy of God's grace. You come as you are and God takes care of the rest. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, let this be the day. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.